Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For our 11th highlight episode, we continue our series of 2012 MFA and BFA competition winner interviews. Our guest today is Jessica Monjean, who is a 2D artist, and she creates a number of different pieces that incorporate a number of different processes, including abstraction, representation, uh, writing, symbol use, and again, she combines this in a very unique way that explores this theme of landscape, which she describes at great length in her practice and process, so please stay tuned for that interview. Once again, if this is the first of the highlight episodes featuring our competition winners, we have another of them up at the Studio Break blog. Simply add more posts to see them, or you can look to the left under the archive function and simply go month by month to see all of the things that you've been missing out at. Once again, we have a number of full-length episodes as well with other artists from all around the country, so please go ahead and check that out. Also notice that we have links to the artist website and also the iTunes store. So if you'd like to, you can subscribe in iTunes. Just search for Studio Break under Podcasts and you're right there. Or just follow the link. Once again, it makes a great companion in the studio or something to listen to if you've got a long commute. So please go ahead and subscribe to us. Leave us feedback, comments, all sorts of good stuff. Once again, we rely on you, the listener, to help share this with other people that might be interested, so please go ahead and do that. Once again, you can follow us at Studio Break on Twitter, and also we have a Facebook page, Studio Break. Once again, we provide updates and previews of guests, so check us out there. All right, here's our interview. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I am happy to be joined by Jessica Mojan. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. How are you? I belabor the point because I always start off this way, but um, if you could just give us a little bit of background and tell us about yourself, where you're from. Um, Well, I grew up on a farm near Rolette, North Dakota, which is a really small town, about 500 people um, in northern North Dakota. Um, I did spend a lot of time outdoors growing up on a farm. I, you know, made forts in the trees, went horseback riding, did some horse shows, um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, maybe a different way to grow up than a lot of people. Yeah. Well, and especially cause I, I always wind up, uh, talking to people that are, you know, more in that central Midwest kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it seems like the further you get out West, the more people are involved and in, in doing things outside, you know, Oh uh, yeah, definitely. we have a lot of malls. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I I saw my fair share of malls, but the closest one was 100 miles away. Right, so. right. <laughs> well, was art making always important to you, or how, how did you become interested in it? You know, I loved making art for as long as I can remember. Um, I don't know. I think most little kids like making art, but I never grew out of it. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember my mom telling me a story about how I was trying to draw a horse, and this was probably before I was even in school, and I just really wanted it to be right. I had a vision of how it was supposed to be, so I kept redrawing it and throwing the pieces of paper on the floor until I got it, well, right. (laughs) Right, right. It sounds like you were always kind of invested in that. Did you take a lot of classes in high school on that and kind of knew early on that this this is what I'm going to do as a profession or... Yeah, well, I wanted to be an author-illustrator, I think, starting in first grade. Um, 
I really liked reading, and I took some private art lessons um, a couple times a week when I was younger um, from this um, Irish lady, and um, I did take some high school art classes. We didn't have a lot of art in our high school. It was kind of, you had to choose between band or choir and art, so I would usually just choose the art. <laughs> well, it's interesting that, that you had a, a bit of a background then in drawing, now, is that something that when you decided to become a, a serious full-time student that, you know, you said, I want to be a, a fine art major, or was it more specific towards education or maybe writing, or you just didn't know at the time? You know, I had a lot of pressure, maybe, you know, to choose a career that I knew I would make money from. Right. <laughs> so, so I ended up double majoring. I um, got a BFA in fine art and a BA in communications, public relations. Um, and they actually, I mean, they sound quite a bit different, but they do complement each other quite a bit. Oh, sure. Well, and I, you know, and I think that's something that I, anybody that hopefully is going to school, you know, kind of considers is the way that, you know, the, the piece or the artwork, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, communicates something. So, um, that, that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. And so, you know, what was that like, I guess, in terms of balancing those, those two out when you're, when you're studying? And, you know, I, I think that it's pretty common for most people to, uh, what, that when they start, you know, at an undergraduate, you know, in painting or, or not painting specifically, but as a BFA student, you know, that there's um, all these other classes that you wind up getting exposed to. Is that kind of the case of, you know, taking both of these majors on and getting invested in it? Oh, definitely. Um, I kind of did my communication classes first, um, along with taking some foundations art courses, because usually the first year you get that many studio classes anyway. Um, and I just took a lot of credits every semester and did a lot of writing. I got to do some writing for newspapers, and that was really great. And honestly, a professional artist does so much writing. You probably spend just as much time doing paperwork as making art. Right. <laughs> In terms of then early studying, I mean, was there a particular way that you kind of, um, I don't know, started getting invested in, in terms of making work, you know, cause certainly the, the ones that we're looking at are going to be, you know, kind of a bit more abstracted out and you talk a little bit about nature in your work. Was that, was that something that, that was always there then in terms of your goals for, for exploring artwork? Yeah, I think I started out a lot more representational. Um, I've always been influenced by nature. Um, I used to paint a lot of horses because, you know, that's my background. I just loved horses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I, I think it kind of, yeah, I started out a lot more representational. I didn't really, you know, I came to, to undergrad, and I didn't really understand abstract art. I didn't get it. But... It just, it's something that develops and you develop an appreciation for it. Sure. And so, so then, um, in terms of those other kind of representational works, you know, I can't help but associate what you, I guess, do more currently with, you know, even kind of like a landscape or, or naturalistic kind of theme. Um, was it, was, was landscape something that you kind of explored? Yeah, well? yeah, definitely. Um, I've always been interested in the human relationship to to the earth and to the land. So, um, what kind of feelings does that bring up? Um, what do we do that impacts the land? And so, what what was the work that you were making then? Um, you know, say exiting out of your your BFA program, uh, going mm -hmm. through all those courses. Um, what was that like then? 
So when I was an undergrad, I was kind of using horses as the bridge between humans and the landscape. Mm -hmm. So they were sort of the medium in between. Okay. They're a little more, you know, they're animals. They're not quite as remote as a landscape. So that's that's really where I was at that point. Um, But then after I graduated, I went to Vermont Studio Center for a month, and then my work really started to change and grow. And the horses, you know, kind of went into the past, and I started really working with just the landscape. Right. And and so then um, is is that what you wound up applying to to graduate school with? And then... and, and again, it's 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 interest. It's maybe kind of a trite to just kind of say because I think a lot of people kind of experience this. But I would imagine that it would be wide open, especially if you did if you did Vermont Studio Center and then and then went to school. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I guess Vermont Studio Center kind of um, made me fall in love with the mountains. So I right. wanted to go somewhere that had you know a really vast, um, interesting landscape. And so then when you, when you started graduate school, then, I mean, was it, was it, um, I don't know, you know, they always tell you to just do everything that you, um, well, to not do everything that you did, you know, all the stuff that they praised you for. So, I mean, um, what was it like being in that environment? Cause you know, I, th- I think there's, there's so many opportunities that you get from other people and, you know, taking classes and all those other things, but was there any, anything in particular that you can think of that, you know, really kind of opened that, that process up for you? Yeah, I think they do. They did encourage me to try different things. And so my first semester, I tried a lot of different techniques and my work, it didn't really look like my work. It was just all over the place, Um, which looking back, I think it was really helpful because it allowed me to go into a different direction. So for a while, I started doing these hyper-realistic landscape paintings of mountains, um, And so I kind of went back to representational mode of thinking. And then after I did that for about a year, and it was pretty interesting, I kind of did a 360 and went back to my sketches, and it became more abstract. Well, and you you referenced that, too, in in your artist statement, sketches. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that something that you you do in terms of preparing for one of these larger, larger pieces then in terms of the, the drawing aspect of it or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a lot of my art making is physical research. So I'm going on hikes in the wilderness. I'm going backpacking, um, even just skiing. Um, and then I'm taking, doing sketches on site, usually really small ones on a small notebook, um, pen and ink and, then I project the sketches onto the larger pieces of paper. So they're pretty fast sketches. That's what makes them a little more abstract. But, I mean, they are representational, but since they go through all of these processes, they become something different. Sure. Well, and, and, ima- and imagine just because the, the size of them are, you know, pretty big, you know, up to like six, six feet, it seems like, in general, some of the larger ones. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it, I would imagine then there's a big scale shift. Um, Definitely. And so, I mean, I don't know, just in terms of like a, a materials or process approach, I mean, could you talk a little bit about how how there's those differences between working some, on something that's much smaller versus something larger? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, I think with something larger, you kind of involve the whole body and it's more all-encompassing and also intuitive. So when I'm working on the small sketches, I'm just kind of recording what I see and it's abbreviated and it is abstracted, but I'm still maybe more in a recording mode. And when I'm making the paintings, um, it's more just intuition and using the large brushes and deciding which colors to use and layering from a design standpoint as well. Sure. Well, and, and I guess just to kind of, um, cause I'm looking at one visually, <laughs> well, visually, um, I'm looking at one right now and just kind of, you know, trying to, trying to think about this and, and layering is also something, you know, that you mentioned in your, your artist statement and talk a little bit about that process or how it's layered. Yeah, well, usually I start with a masking fluid so I can preserve some of the white, especially when I'm using the symbols. So, um, you know, the camping symbol or the you are here Google symbol um, and with the gold leaf. So I start with that. And when that dries, I just work on top of it with layers of India ink and fluid acrylics. And I have a a lot of really large brushes as well. So it's just uh, the India ink's more watery, so that will is usually the thinner layers. Usually the last layer, or close to the last, will have a lot more acrylic in it, so it's more opaque. Um, and then at the last step, I'll take off the masking fluid, see if I need to put some more layers on top, and then, in some cases, add the gold leaf. Well, that's interesting, and that's, you know, one of the things that I really like seeing when I look at them closely is all the layering and all the, the process and things going on with the materials. It's really interesting. Um, one of the other things that I'm kind of curious about then is how you start to incorporate writing. You mentioned earlier that you're interested in writing at some component. Is that something that, that finds a way into the, the process of uh, completing these works? Well, my journaling is integrated into into the works. Usually I project them backwards so you can actually read the words, but there is part of it that might be the name of the place and the date. Um, so it's kind of just relating an experience, um, almost like a visual journal, but not one that you can read, so it's a little more open to interpretation. I also like when the place name is is labeled but not readable because then it becomes a non-place. I think symbols is something else that you that would probably be good to talk about a little bit. You know, I, I noticed that the, the there's the one I think that you talked. It's a sign for camping, but then there's also like another kind of I don't know, almost teardrop kind of symbol. Could you talk just a little bit about the the way that you use symbols in your work too? Yeah, definitely. So the camping symbol, I thought it looked a lot like a temple, which was really interesting because in one way it's this contemporary symbol and most of us know what it means. You know, it's on the national park signs, Um, you know, go there and camp with your car, with your tent. Um, But there's that other level of meaning. And for some people, camping is a spiritual experience and going into the wilderness. So there's that. Um, but also it just has that mundane aspect. So you're not thinking of these landscape paintings so that, you know, you're not thinking so seriously, like these are so sublime and they're so beautiful. Um, but then you, you get to the symbol and it brings you back to earth. And that's also why I'm using the teardrop symbol is actually, I'm taking it from the Google maps. Um, that's the place marker symbol. So you, might have one that indicates a restaurant or it indicates a place that you've been. So it's marking that 
you know, someone has already been here. Maybe that's a place where they brought their dog or maybe that's the place they got engaged or it just, it brings the human aspect back into it. Sure. Well, and you know, and I think that's something that's interesting. It might relate to something that you talk about in, in, in your, in your statement a bit is about space. And I, I guess, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me is that some, some of the pieces become, well, kind of flat in, in, in certain areas. And then some, you kind of almost read like, like a map, like you're, you know, you're looking into like a valley and there's all this mark making going on and there's kind of like this area that's highlighted. Is that something that's based more off the sketch in terms of, you know, the way that the compositions determine, or is it, you know, something that's conscious in terms of the way that you're, you're kind of, you know, creating this world? I mean, I don't know, where, where does that balance of abstraction and representation work in terms of space? Yeah, well, some of them, I combine a lot of different places together, but some of them are, I am inspired by a specific place, so I might try to kind of capture the feeling of the place, not necessarily how it actually looked, but maybe I'll kind of use some of the colors. Some of the more reddish ones were really inspired by a trip to Utah, so they have all that red rock. Um, So some of those color choices are... Um, purposeful, and I, I do use a lot of blues, which you'll see a lot of that in the mountains um, and the white of the paper. I think with the space, uh, a lot of my inspiration comes from Chinese landscape painting, and I think when people see my work, they that kind of work does come to mind. But it's the way the space is organized vertically for Chinese landscape painting that is interesting to me. So they're not using linear perspective to show space, but it's more, you know, atmospheric perspective. Maybe it's lighter in the back or maybe it's layered in a certain way that you know that something is in the front. And I think that's something that, you know, really kind of breathes a little bit of life into work. Just the way that it kind of incorporates both at times. You know, there's, there's areas that really look recessed, but... At the same time, it makes sense the way that you kind of have that stacking, you know, moving down the composition. In terms of like a process of these, do you do you work on a number of them at the same time? Is it typically like a one-on-one kind of thing? I normally work on one at a time, but a lot of the sketches are used a bunch of times. I mean, they might be layered several times within one painting, or they might be used in five different paintings. Sure. Well, and, and so, you know, you've got, you've got these sketches and I'm guessing that then when you're, when you're working on one, you've got one, you know, tacked up somewhere that you're basing it or, well, you said projected. So, yeah, um, yeah. so I actually um, get them printed on, I scan them in and print them onto a mylar or a transparency right. and use an old school projector. <laughs> right, right. And it doesn't need a computer. And I can just use that to distort the image. So if I put the projector off to the side, it'll stretch it. Um, if I you, I can have it close, I can flip it. It's just very flexible. And then I can use that as an outline for my strokes. I'll probably, I usually vary the thickness um, or the size of the marks. But it's just really nice to have that guide because when you're working from something that's, you know, maybe uh, four by five inches and then making it that large, uh, it's important to have some sort of guide. <laughs> sure. Well, and, you know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, I think that you can see and, and certainly there's there's a there's like a looseness to the work. There's kind of a quality that, you know, you're really paying attention to, you know, the way that that the marks work. Um 
but then I'm I'm just kind of curious. Then is that is that primarily then kind of what the what the sketches look like that you're projecting? Are they more representational? Um, or they, it... I mean, they look like that, except I'm using a pen. Okay. So there's not that much of a variety in the, the thickness and the thinness of the lines. Um, so it's it's kind of just a pared-down version. They are fairly abstract for the most part because, you know, I might be sitting on top of a mountain being eaten by mosquitoes at that time. But that experience plays into the work. So, you know, when I'm making the work, whatever I felt when I was there can come into it. Well, and it's, it's interesting to me because it's... Um... You know, it's something that I that I that I've definitely I've definitely known people to use that like a process that's similar um, in a in a really just like a pure abstract kind of way. And so to me, it's interesting to kind of merge that into this this kind of overall experience that you're building. You know, you're going on these hikes. Um, you know, you're you're combining um, text and and these symbols and, and trying to put them in into some kind of context. But at the same time, it's not not very overt in certain ways, you know, it's very subtle and, and kind of, I don't know, it's, it's a very interesting combination, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that that's interesting too, is that, is that again, that mark making, um, what, what kind of, uh, tools then do you wind up using in terms of, of making these? Because you, you do have like a nice variation in terms of, you know, really kind of small, small line, linear kind of elements. And then, some that are much more, like, kind of chunky? Yeah, um, well, I have some Chinese calligraphy brushes. I have some really large hockey brushes. The, um, they're really wide. So a lot of those huge marks that you see, I just have a really big brush, and I'll just lay the paint out and just swipe it on there. Um, I also just use regular brushes for acrylic. I don't always use calligraphy brushes. I might just have a really tiny brush. I just use a lot of different tools so that I can get the type of mark that I, that I want. And I think I really like to have a lot of variety in line width and line weight. It just, I feel like it adds to the sense of space and it also just makes it more interesting to look at. You, you think about, at least I do anyways, like seeing these in context of other, other ones. Mm -hmm. And so that variety, I think overall is something that's really you know, really kind of nice about the work. And I think one of, one of the things too, that's kind of a very subtle aspect too, is that uh, are these, um, large kind of transparent areas as well. And I think you mentioned a little bit of color, but when you're mixing color in there, is that watercolor or? Um, well, I'll use a lot of water, but it's actually just fluid acrylic. Um, okay. And with India ink, I like a lot of the colors are not pure, so I'll tone them down with some India ink and some water, um, just so they're not too intense. I like to use colors that are, um, you know, maybe you're not going to recognize it as purple right away or blue, but it it has that kind of hue to it. It's more of a chromatic gray, just because then you're, you have a little more openness when you're looking at the piece. So it, you're not going to say, okay, so that's sky blue. So that must be the sky. Um, it's just a little more open-ended. Is something gained in terms of exploring then maybe um, other kinds of landscapes or other places? Do you, do you kind of take note of these things when you're, um, say, on vacation in some other, other part of the country or other area that you're, you're familiar with? Oh, definitely, because I grew up somewhere that was pretty much completely flat. 
Um, I was close to the Turtle Mountains, but they're basically hills. I I didn't see any mountains until I was much older. And I think my work changed because I moved to a different place that had a different landscape. So that changed the work. And when I was in Vermont, I made different work. So my work definitely responds to the type of environment that I'm experiencing. And even the pieces that I took from when I when I took my trip to Utah, they're different in a way than the ones that are inspired by the ones that I did when I was here. Well, and you know, and it's interesting because I know that, you know, some some folks really take a lot of photos, some people do a lot of drawing. Do you do you do both or is it primarily a lot of sketching and, and journal writing when you're out in these places? I yeah, I do a lot I take a lot of photos too. I, I just got a better camera and it's been really good, good for that. And I think it's nice to just go back and look at where I was. Um, and it's just, it's so different because you have the photos and a lot of times you don't even think about how it looks when you're there, especially if you're taking a longer hiking trip, you don't necessarily maybe get used to how beautiful it is or how striking, or maybe you're just thinking about how hungry you are and you really want to get back to camp and get some jerky. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's great. Um, do you have any, any specific plans coming up, any big shows, anything that you know, you're looking forward to doing or new work that you're excited about making? My MFA exhibition is in March, so that's pretty exciting. Excellent. And so are, are you just working, working away then? Yep, just preparing for the show, making lots of work. Yeah, we, we all do um, a solar, solo exhibition at the university, so just planning that out. Well, that's excellent. And once again, thanks again for coming on as one of our competition winners. It was great to have you. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Jessica for joining us today. Once again, you can visit her website and see more of her work by visiting jessicamonjean.com. And if you don't want to figure out or search for that, you can simply follow that link that's right there on the blog entry. Once again, if you'd like to find out more about your host, myself, David Linaway, I do a number of paintings that deal with architecture and landscape, and you can see them by visiting the website davidlinaway.com or simply look to the left on the Studio Break page, and you'll see my name. Just follow that link, and there you go. Our music today was found and is provided by freemusicarchive.org where they've got thousands of different songs, full albums that you can download. It's a lot of fun to just peruse through all the music that they have there. Our intro song was 6AM by Jaza, and taking us out is James Biedro's Twig. So again, you can find tons of free music and interesting music, freemusicarchive.org. Once again, you can subscribe to this podcast in the iTunes store. Just search for Studio Break under Podcasts or click that hyperlink that's right on that blog entry. Once again, we are on Facebook, so you can search for our Studio Break page on Facebook. Again, we provide a number of previews for guests that are coming up and updates for past guests, including shows, uh, reviews, etc. So please go ahead and like us on our Studio Break page on Facebook. And last but not least, if you are on Twitter, you can follow Studio Break on Twitter. Very simple, at Studio Break. So please go ahead and do that. 
who knows, maybe you just want to make a suggestion for an upcoming guest. So please go ahead and hit me up there, or you can also hit me up at David Linaway on Twitter. All right, folks, we hope that you spread the word. That's all we've got for today. We'll talk to you real soon. 